guest today. I'm honored to be once again joined by Denver <laughs> Nuggets, my high sports writer, TJ McBride. TJ, what's going on, man? You know, just trying to stay sane in these crazy times and enjoy myself inside and actually watch some TV that I've been trying to get to for years and years and years. Yeah. Yeah, I've been watching on, on Netflix like crazy. <laughs> Man, I never thought I would watch such weird stuff in my life thinking that it was going to be fun just to waste some hours. But here we are. we got to find some way to make it work. I know, right? It's crazy. And they tried with the horse thing, but Michael Jordan came through. Like I said previously, he came through. It was something to really look at. So, I don't know. It's a crazy time, man. And also, the having the last dance is such an interesting, like, microcosm of watching basketball nerds finally have something to be nerds about together and kind of all dive into it. Like, you see how Twitter is the second that the last dance comes on, man. Every single person who was remotely yeah. talking basketball on Twitter appears, and it kind of creates a sense of community when we're all stuck inside, which is kind of a cool thing. Like, you don't see a lot of those opportunities in day-to-day life. So it's cool to see even big media giants like ESPN coming together to give everybody something to rally around. Yeah, and a lot of people saying how bad Mike really was, man. He was a bad man. His mentality was crazy. His his um, will, his will, his will to win was out of this world, man. Mike He's just gone. He'll never be touched again in the way that he approached the game. I don't think people can even think that way in this day and age. Like, people are striving for happiness and being content and finding their own worth their own way. And there's a lot of right. different approaches. Back then, you know, late 90s, blue-collar, work your way from nothing and be the best by any possible way, that doesn't exist in the same way anymore, man. Like, and that's not a good <laughs> or a bad thing. It's just different. So I don't think we're going to see anybody like Mike again. I don't think it, it can – I really don't. I don't think it can exist. Yeah, and a lot of a lot of players today couldn't take Mike as a teammate because he was hard on everybody. I don't and think like, any coaches could take Mike as a player. Like, <laughs> I'm just trying to imagine, like, could you imagine the Rockets and Mike D'Antoni and owner Tillman for Tita dealing with Michael Jordan just blowing up everything that they feel like doing at any given point? Like, man, that would be destroying franchises right now. Yeah, Krause was, was like, adamant about making sure management was in the forefront of everything that happened. But in reality... We, they do get credit, but the players were on the floor. Like you bring in those players to win, and you can't so win from. And the point you can't win from management's perspective. They do put the team together, but if those players don't perform, like those moves are for nothing. We see players all the time being moved because they didn't perform to their um, expectations all the time. But at the same time, like you don't get Scottie Pippen on that team unless Kraus makes that draft day trade. That's true like too. those kinds of like, and I'm I'm not saying that Kraus like Kraus was an egomaniacal, crazy person. Like it's very clear right. that you watched the last dance that like he wanted it to be about him, despite the fact that yeah. Michael Jordan and Scottie Pippen and Dennis Rodman exist. But at the right. same time, they also aren't a dynasty without him. So, like, it's weird to look at it in that way because he did want too much of the credit. He did do it for himself and his own vanity. But at the same time, to drag a dead man like that who did help that dynasty, it's a very weird feeling for sure. Yeah, they did have Mike come taking shots at him, like, every, every three Every minutes. time they could, every. man. Like, like, oh, no, we got 32 clips of Jordan taking shots at Krauss, man. we got to get all 32 in this dock at some point. It's crazy, man. But yeah, the Bulls were a bad team, man. It's like both, both, both three pieces were set up perfectly with the players that we added. It's ridiculous, man. Yeah, and that contract that Scottie Pippen ended up agreeing to for reasons that I will never be able to wrap my head around—that like eight-year, nineteen million dollars deal, whatever. Yeah. 
Like, that yeah. is what allowed them to win so much. Without that particular deal, like, you can kind of liken it to Steph Curry's ankles not working and him not signing the max. Like, Warriors yeah. aren't the Warriors unless Steph Curry's ankles don't work the first five years. And the Very Bulls are not the Bulls unless Scottie Pippen gets that terrible contract. Yeah, he said part of that was due to the fact that like, he wanted stability because he took care of his family. And way you can understand it, but looking back hindsight, like, players today would never sign anything like that. Never. Yeah. But Ever. you have better guidance nowadays. Like, there's so many more people that are, you know, financial advisors, and you have your agent and their entire staff of people who are helping you learn the different market value of what you can bring to different teams. The yeah. data that we have now allows <laughs> those kinds of things to not happen. And I get why Scotty did it, man. Like, I grew up poor. I get it. And, like, those are one of those things where, like, you can set your family up. Like, you can be good for everybody that you care about for the yeah. rest of your life. But at some point, it is going to bite you like that. And you're going to feel like you are getting beaten up because you're not getting paid what you're worth. So I, I get why he made it. But, man, that's always going to be something that haunts him, despite the fact that he still made hundreds of millions of dollars throughout his career. Yeah, he got that on the back end when he went to Portland. Especially, yeah, he, especially, especially Portland. He made up that when he went to Portland, basically. So he made it okay. <laughs> It's crazy that Reisdorf, the uh, owner of the Bulls, told him to not take the deal, too. That was one of the most interesting parts of that episode of the documentary, was that the owner who yeah. made a profit off it was like, listen, man, this might be a terrible deal for you here in two years. Are you sure you want to do that? <laughs> That's fascinating. Yeah, the way that he played, he might have made, honestly, almost more than Mike as a player. As a player, Mike got underpaid. But the way Scotty overperformed for that contract, if you look at what he could have made, it would have been, been crazy. He would have got, yeah. got more endorsements also. And it's interesting because that's how it's been across NBA forever. You can go back to the 60s and the Boston Celtics big three teams where they all sacrificed all the way up to Chris Bosh becoming the third guy in the Miami Heat teams to be able to right. allow them to thrive when he could have gone out and gotten a max anywhere that he wanted to prior to that. Like There, there cool. is a price to pay for greatness in this league, and I think that's one yeah. thing that the Jordan docker showed us. Yeah, and you can attribute that honestly to what um, the LeBron's doing today. LeBron signed those one and starts on those one and ones where he could opt in or opt out, and he 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 made his value. He 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 worked his value up, and those contracts allowed him to get the most out of what he's performing on. Yeah, it is. And also, but you can look at it the way that he never had a team around him, like the Warriors had a team, to be able to get those kinds of rings that he would like to get. So while so, LeBron has gotten his, like, has it potentially limited what he's been able to do as a player for his legacy? Like, that's going to be fascinating as well when we look back in five years from now at yeah. how LeBron's legacy has shifted with this suspension of the league and what could have been different. Because you know that people are going to exhaust every conversation about that going forward. Yeah, and LeBron has a lot riding on this season. That's why he came out and said he don't want to cancel. Yep. This is this is arguably his or his best season to win a championship. Because we'll we'll know we'll know what's gonna happen next year. He's been year eighteen next year. I mean, age by finally started to catch up to him. Father I mean, Tom's undefeated. Father Tom's undefeated, man. Yeah, you I was about to say that. From that. Like that is you what can. it is. You Even can. LeBron, man, you can put two million dollars into your body a year, you're still gonna have to stop at some point. You basically are. You really are. How you thought how about how do you feel about NBA's um, handling this um, situation? I take my hats off to Adam Silver because this is unprecedented. And it, when they canceled the season March 11th, I was like, man, I'm like it, it hit me hard as hell. Even though I saw it coming, but when they when it came out, I was like, my heart dropped. Like, no NBA, it's canceled. I'm like, <laughs> yeah. 
let's start with that part because I felt the same way. But also with the context of how this season has gone, like you got to remember, yeah. this season started in Las Vegas for summer league when an earthquake in LA shook a jumbotron so much that they had to cancel summer league games to check yeah. the structure of the building. Then Kobe dies. Then David Stern dies. Then Daryl Moore yeah. starts the geopolitical conversation yeah. and incident. And like, and all of this stuff is happening. And then the league just stops. So like, people were going from you know ninety nine miles an hour, you know, input all the way to eleven to nothing. And it yeah. was just such a bizarre feeling. But now when I take a step back and I look at how the league has handled it, um, yeah. I have some qualms. I'm not gonna lie. It's right. troubling to me that you had to wait for someone to actually get sick to take precautions. Like, yeah. precautions are meant yeah. for you not to get sick. So when right. I look at that, like, you're putting your profits before people. And as a multi-billion dollar industry, I can play devil's advocate and understand it, but I'm not going to be happy with it either. And when I look at the practice facilities opening right now, they're only doing that because the states eased restrictions and because the states will be at fault if someone yeah. gets sick. The buck just passes the blame to the next person this way. So I don't know if I want to give them tons and tons and tons of credit for just doing the bare minimum and allowing other people to take the fall for them, if that makes sense. Yeah, I understand what you're saying. Because if someone gets 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 it again at a practice facility, that's going to put us back to ground zero. Like it's going to be everything. Like, yeah. That's what people don't realize, is that if you have another person get sick or you create these bubble cities in Disney World or Vegas to have the league continue to play, they say yeah. that they can control it better. But these dudes are interacting every day in Vegas. Like, whether casinos are open or not, these dudes are going to yeah. go get dinners together if it's open. And so that true. can lead to a lot of this stuff happening. And if the second person gets it, I bet you you're going to see three, four, five players get it, and then you start talking about, is there going to be a 2020-2021 season? Are there yeah. going to be even fans involved? What does that do to the cat numbers? What does that do to teams who are already way in the luxury tax? And now that the basketball-related income has dropped, all of a sudden they're paying an extra $100 million in one year in tax money like those repercussions are going to be incredibly real and if the nba doesn't take serious precautions those ripple effects are going to be more and more negative as, as time goes on yeah it's definitely have a big impact on the league because fan participation will be 40 percent of income for the nba yeah. and there's not going to be fans for this season and look like you just said particularly maybe next season or have the next season let's see until we come up with a with a cure for this it's going to be ongoing ongoing situation yeah. And that's like, are you going to be able to have media there? Are you going to be having your team covered? Yeah, are you going to yeah. have people even interested because they're not on the ground telling stories? Like in Denver, I, like this is my unique perspective, is that Denver is a basketball or a football town first and foremost. The Broncos run everything here. Yeah. Then it's get drunk at Rockies games, and then it's Nuggets. It's not like an elite basketball town in terms of the public outcry for basketball. So if you don't have media there, if they're not people doing interviews, if you're not having people on podcasts, if you don't have altitude, able to call the game and interview Tory Craig before the game and so on and so forth, why would casual fans care? Like, they already don't care about basketball. So what are you going to do to draw them in all of a sudden? So mid-market and small-market teams could be at the guillotine right now. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. They ought, to have, they, ought to, they ought to have media at the game. I can't see any game without media or any sports without media. So how gonna have to. If there's no yeah. fans, they ain't letting me in there. I'll tell you that right now. <laughs> like that's just the fact, right? Like they're the fans that are paying. I'm walking in there for free and talking to people who usually don't want to be talking to people. They're trying to go home and get some dinner with their families. They don't want to be asked about how bad they played. So like I get it. I understand it, but like that's it's nerve wracking. It's very interesting that's gonna play out. 
Yeah, I definitely see how this whole thing plays. I definitely do. So, yeah, the Nuggets practice really just opened up. Um, you see a lot of players flocking to the um, to the gym? No. So, from what I understand right now, you're talking about, like, four to six players are even in Denver right now. So, there's not even enough people to be in the gym. Um, I do know that yesterday there were a handful of players. I believe there were three players. I haven't confirmed the names. I've heard a couple different ones. But we're talking between two and three players were in the gym individually at separate times yesterday for the very first time. So, that did happen. I confirmed it with multiple sources. So, the Nuggets facility is open for better or worse. Before this hiatus, the Nuggets had a little hole on the third seat in the West, right behind the Clippers. How do you see this um, hiatus taking effect of the Nuggets? One thing I want to ask you, the Nuggets played well in Denver. Um, the mile high advantage is there. I mean, how do you see them playing? If, if they finish this in, let's talk about finish this in Florida. How do you think the Nuggets will play in Florida? <laughs> So what's interesting is that normally I'd be like, Denver has an advantage. They're ready for the altitude condition-wise. Yeah. They'd be fine. But no one's here. So like, who knows what that's going to impact? And then right. you start asking yourself the question, like, Gary Harris was injured all year. Jamal Murray had ankle injuries all year. Nikola Jokic yeah. basically played four straight years of basketball between the Olympics and Eurobasket and the NBA and the All-Star break and all that yeah. stuff. So the idea of the rest could help. But, like, what are these guys doing? Nikola Jokic lives in an apartment in Denver. He does not have a court to practice at. He does not right. have a full gym to be getting, like, big-time lifts in. You can do Peloton bike workouts. You can do right. resistant band workouts, but it's not the same as being a professional NBA player and the top ten player in the world that you have to kind of hold yourself to. So it's so hard with all the different layers of this, kind of figure out who could be impacted, how they could be impacted, whether it's negative or positive, and when these things could eventually even out. We don't even know how long of a training camp they're going to get before the season potentially even resumes like is it going to be two weeks is it going to be over a month like that carries a ton of weight as well so I honestly I don't know and I I'm I'm really sick of saying I don't know because I feel like every answer that I have nowadays is I have no idea this pandemic just makes me completely lost but it's kind of just the reality of what we got to deal with is that we just don't know right now we don't have enough information Absolutely right. We're all, we're all, we're everyone's day-to-day on this situation. We're waiting on like a cure or something to let us know we have a lot of testing or they can do uh, immediate rapid testing that we can move faster on this. But back to um, Jokic, Jokic is putting up 20 points a game before this hiatus. He, I can't, under, I can't like, underestimate how much he means to the team. He is everything. I mean, he is the engine that allows this Nuggets team to operate. Like, it's like having a car with or without an engine. That's literally what he does to this team. And what was so interesting is that right before the season ended, his February stretch was probably the greatest regular season stretch he's ever had. He averaged 23 points, 12 rebounds, seven and a half assists, two steals and over a block a game on like a 60 effective field goal percentage. Like he was single-handedly demolishing everyone in front of them. And if you remember, that was during the trade deadline. The Nuggets were playing with like seven, eight, nine, ten guys on most of those nights. So he was just dragging a corpse of a roster by himself and doing whatever he felt like on both ends of the court. Then they got healthy, and then they made, then then the trades were like accomplished, and yeah. he started to slide. So I don't know what Nicola we were going to get. Um, the one thing I will say is I do think Nicola is one of the very, very, very few players in the league who can just turn it on and off when they feel like it because he's not a super athlete. He's not crazy emotional. He doesn't need those 
um, exterior impulses to be able to get him back into the game. So right. when he feels like it, like he did during the playoffs, he can just suddenly turn it back on and turn into Oscar Robertson playing center and do whatever he wants to do. So right. I do wonder if he is doing the LeBron, I'm going to conserve energy before the playoffs. Because right now, I don't need to give 100% for us to win. I need to get 70%, and then I will be ready for the playoffs, which I think might be a very mature approach to an 82-game season. Yeah, one other player that's still on the roster that I am very excited about is Michael Porter Jr. Yes. He finally made his debut. I mean, he's averaging, what, like, over seven a game right now. But he, he, I think he's going to be a big piece for Denver's future. And if he, he keeps getting healthy, they may have they found a, they found a rough when he picked him. But he's going to be a superstar in this league. And when you watch him, like, there are some players that just have that it factor that you can just yeah. see them play the game, and you're like, that dude is just on a different stratosphere of everybody else on the court. And Michael Porter Jr. had so many moments like that. And what was even more encouraging to me was what you said. The health was there, but the athletic ability also returned. So it wasn't just that he stayed healthy. It actually led to him being a more impactful player as a whole, which I didn't expect his rookie season after being out of basketball for two years with two back surgeries before he being able to have a beer. Like, that's a very difficult thing to come back from. But he took it in stride, and his minutes were irregular this year. Michael Malone played some very erratic lineups for him, and he took it in stride. Like, he got frustrated like anybody would, but he took it in stride and learned from it, got better, improved every single day. And by the end of it, I was preaching how much better he could be defensively. Like, I never thought I would put defense in the same conversation as Michael Porter Jr. But the dude was working so hard and making so many important decisions and actually being intelligent about how he's rotating defensively and making it happen instinctually. Like, he didn't look like a rookie at moments. And that doesn't happen of players of his stature. So while I'm trying to be extremely conservative because of the yeah. injury history, it's just yeah. so hard not to see him and be like, that dude has everything that you want to see in a wing. Yeah, he has he has unlimited potential. He's, he's, yeah. gonna, he's, he's only going to get better. And this time off is, is, is going to help him heal I agree with that. But but man, I miss the game. I miss the game so much. <laughs> That's right, man. I've been going back and rewatching film and rewatching games so much since I've been inside, man. Like I've been just trying to get any basketball I can. Yeah, definitely. Paul Millsap, the veteran, his game fell off a little bit, but his veteran presence is very huge to this Nuggets team. Can you speak on what he brings? What he still brings to the Nuggets? So what's interesting is this play did fall off. You are absolutely factually correct, but I would. I would change how I define it. His game right. shifted. He changed the way that he plays basketball to better fit what this Nuggets team needed from him this season. So his three-point percentage is at a career best by, like, 8%. He's right. shooting, like, 41% from three on, like, three attempts a game, which was absolutely instrumental for the Nuggets offense operating this year. In addition to that, he's just playing free safety on defense. All of his energy right now is free safety on defense, full right. stop. The, I was ta- so I talked to Wes Unsell Jr., the Nuggets' lead assistant coach, also their de facto defensive coordinator, and right. he told me that they give Paul Millsap free reign to play like Draymond does in the old Warrior system, where they're like, okay. listen, we know you're guarding the guy. We know that you have someone in the dunker spot in the short corner, but we're going to let you roam. 
We're going to let you play free safety because we trust your intelligence and your ability to recover back to people, and we trust our other players around you to be able to make snap decisions as well. So that's where he's really brought all of his value. The three-point shooting is incredibly helpful, but I don't right. care that his post-game's gone. I don't care that he's not operating from the elbows anymore. That stuff I really could care less about. He has right. made this Nuggets team an absolute defensive team, which I never, ever, ever thought I would see. Yeah, he's a, he's definitely part of um, Nuggets' core, and I love his veteran presence. This uh, this team has a, a young core that's very dangerous. I mean, we still have like Will Barton who explodes, has little shooting problems. You know, he was he must he must be like J.R. Smith a little bit. Meaning, we all know J.R. Smith was on, he was on, he was off. He'll keep shooting. <laughs> Yeah, I do think Will's yeah, a little bit more balanced than Jr. Yeah. Jr. is like you know soup throwing erratic crazy person. Like, yeah. Will's a little bit more tame than Jr. But the yeah. comparison in terms of like how they just pop off and will just win you games when you least right. expect it, man, it's hundred percent true. Yeah. But I'm not, I really I love think Will is important, man. Like Will is so the Nuggets' offense. One of the biggest issues they had this past season was they don't have one dude who can just get downhill and get to the bucket or kick out to a pass. They can't break down a defense. They all need a screen. They all need somebody to come set a pick for them. Will does not. And that right. was so important to start in him in that small forward was that he could just take the ball with eight seconds on the shot clock, break you down at the top of the key, get into the paint, and kick to an open shooter. Like yeah. he was able to create out of nothing. And the Nuggets don't have very many guys like that. And Nikola Jokic can do it, but just dumping the ball or the post to him all the time is too predictable. You need right. somebody who can just take you off the bounce and actually be able to create something. And Will was that guy for the Nuggets this year. Yeah. Hopefully if we do somehow get part of a um a regular season back, which I doubt. But one thing about the Nuggets, everyone that knows me knows, I mean, you know, too, I'm a, I'm a different Nuggets fan. Yeah. Um. So one problem we always had was we didn't win games we were supposed to win. So like we win games, like some say we're supposed to lose on paper. It's like we're bipolar sometimes. Like, and that still turns into the season a little bit, even though we're in third. 100%. And, it, and it's something that bothered Malone, too. But I'm going to make a take here. I don't care. Those losses right. do not matter to me because every other elite team, other than the Lakers, they were the only team that didn't have as many or more losses against teams under 500 than Denver. Like, it's just something that happens over an 82-game season. Like, I'm yeah. really trying to let go of that because two years ago, it would have mattered a lot more to me. But yeah. this year, like, when the Nuggets want to, they show up. And I don't yeah. care what happens against Phoenix when you're in the playoffs. Like, it just doesn't quantify to me. So, Very you're true. right. Like, they probably would have been a two seed or even competing for the one seed if they won those games. But are they really that important if you're trying to have energy for the playoffs? I am now of the mind that they're not, which is why I think that they need to shorten the season if they ever are willing to lose the money to do so. Yeah. I think we will definitely have a postseason. So, they're going to come back in a, with the third seed sometime to get back, um, acclimate back to game shape and rock out. Right now, they're on pace to play the, play the Rockets, who went small ball. So, there's no Capella in the middle. But, I mean, I mean, Jokic has Jokic can shoot up anybody on the Rockets down there. So, we all know he just spots up, lets it go. It's good. So, yeah, it's that simple, man. I like like, oh, you want me to pick you up on the block? Like, this is right. over, PJ Tucker. Like, you can yes. just sit down there at 6 7, and my 9 8 reach will go right over you. Yeah, not so like <laughs> no, it's, it's what it is. Like if Jokic is doing this against Rudy Gobert and Joel Embiid, right. say, what the hell is PJ Tucker going to do to him? Like it's just yeah. very real. Like I'm not trying to be mean to PJ, but like very true. it's just one of those things. And what's so interesting is that when the Nuggets made that four team deal that helped Clint Capella go to the 
Atlanta Hawks and they yeah. sent Wancho and Malik to Minnesota, that right. was not because they were trying to desperately get rid of Malik and Wancho. A big yeah. part of that was they did not want Clint Capella in the West. That He is the one that made that matchup impossible because if you just right. one pick and roll at the Nuggets, you either are going to have Clint Capella slipping the screen and getting the lob dunk or James Harden roasting Nikola Jokic going to the rim. They didn't have right. an option. They were out. So now that he's gone, I think the Nuggets are the most equipped team to beat that Rockets system because they have Very Nikola true. Jokic because he can shoot over you, like you said, or you double him and he kicks to the corner for a wide open three. Yeah. So, like, where are you, there's not a good answer for Houston anymore in that way. So I do Very think true. the Nuggets are the one team that I can say for sure are the team that will be better against that version of the Rockets. Yeah, I think that's a perfect description of Jokic. He's just nonchalantly good. All he does is just like, okay, I'm going to do this. And he does yeah. it like it's a, <laughs> yeah, it's like almost like playing three You're just like I'm gonna go left now, and he's like, yeah, yeah someone like he's not there. Yeah. Like, it's so bizarre because he does it slowly. Like he's not athletic. Like normally right. guys do this. Like when LeBron just blows by someone to the rim and rises up for like a tomahawk, you're like, oh, it was violent. Like you feel it. Nikola yeah. is like falling over himself to the rim, and no one can do anything about it. It's crazy. so bizarre to watch. And, like, I love it because he has, like, those water polo shots where he'll, like, grab a rebound one-handed and just throw it right back yeah. without ever using his second hand. And yeah. like, it's just so much uniqueness about Nikola that I am not able to quantify. Like, I was there his very first summer league in 2014 in Las Vegas. And even yeah. then, you're like, there's something different, man. Like, this guy is just unique. And it's really, really amazing that the Nuggets had the – I guess the, the strength of will to build around a guy like that, because how many coaches or front offices would be like, Oh, you want to build around a six eleven non-athletic slow center who likes to pass yeah. and not score. Like who on earth would be like, that sounds like a great idea. Let's do that. But the Nuggets did it. And they are now, right. you know, obviously enjoying the fruits of their labor, but he is that unique. And it's something that I think the Nuggets deserve a lot more credit for. I think one thing that gets overlooked with the Nuggets is their, is their, their team chemistry. Because like we just talk about Jokic, Jokic can find anybody on the floor, like like the second nature. Like he knows where they're going to be. Like the defense got to stay on guard all, at all times playing in the Nuggets because their passing ability is crazy. My favorite thing to do is when the Nuggets get new players in is to ask them what it was like when they first played with Nikola Jokic on the same team for the first time. Kata Bates right. told me he got hit in the face by a pass he didn't see coming. And these are intelligent NBA players. Like right. The fact that Nikola is that far ahead mentally, that he's you know three, four, five steps ahead of his own teammates who are running the same offense, like, yeah. that's insane to me. But it's really it speaks to how that that chemistry. Um, one thing that's really interesting about that though is when does that chemistry become stale? Like you can have the greatest thing and eventually it breaks down. And the Nuggets have had the same core for five and a half years now. So I wonder, like, do people stop hearing the same voices with the same magnification that they did when they first started? Like, do they yeah. shake up? Like, those things might actually be important. This is not reporting. This is purely conjecture because the right. Nuggets love each other. Like, that whole team yeah. are tight, tight, tight. But I do wonder <clears throat> if there is a point that guys hit that wall. And I wonder if the Nuggets will end up showing an, an example of that in the future. Yeah, because you how are these men keep coming up with the different Nuggets? Yeah, Bradley Beal. We're talking about yeah. a lot of guys going to get those two. Yeah, yeah, and they're right now in their position to be a contender in the West. And I want to go backwards. That would be that would be a cautious move. I mean, I understand winning, but you can't give up winning now for for um like getting rid of your future. 
So let I me mean, ask you this then, because this future has been here for five years now. Like, they've made the playoffs twice, or they're going to make the playoffs for the second time this season. But, like, yeah. they were Western Conference Finals contenders for back-to-back seasons now. At right. what point is it like, all right, you've got to show up, and you've got to win regardless of what the average age of the roster is. Very and that's true. kind of where I'm at now. And also, like, you got Nikola Jokic in his prime, and you got three more years of him. You yeah. go all in now. And also, I don't think they can get Bradley Beal. I think Drew Holiday is too difficult to get as well because they're not right. going to trade Michael Porter Jr. And Jamal Murray's max contract now is going to be very difficult right. to trade. Um, right. So I don't think they're going to get either of them. But if they have a chance, you've got to go for it, I think. I think they, I, I look at the Raptors. They had a chance to get Kawhi for one year, and they won the title. Like, that's right. what they've got to do. You're not the Lakers. You're not going to be able to sign Anthony Davis one year and then Giannis the next and then LeBron and then whatever superstar you want because you're the Lakers. They have to go all in when they have a chance, and this is their chance, I think. Yeah, I think Michael Porter Jr. is one of the untouchables on the team. you got to oh, keep him. Oh, he is. I can report that. He you got to keep trade conversations. <laughs> he is not. <laughs> that's good. <laughs> He's definitely keeper. Yeah, Mike Mike Malone is always always engaged for the team. Whether in practice, he's on the floor with them shooting. I posted numerous um, videos of him yep. with the team. I love Mike Malone. I think he's a good he's a good coach, man. This to keep him for a while. It's going to be interesting because the hardest thing in the NBA is not to go from you know the lottery to a three seed. It's going from the yeah. three seed to actually competing for a title. And right. I would say that Michael Malone is a phenomenal coach in 90% of aspects. But I'm not saying he isn't to get them to the next level. I just don't know yet because right. the development that you need to see, you don't know what it's going to look like. And everyone wants to point at the Warriors. You know, Mark Jackson was his hardhead development coach, you know, yeah. always in your face. And they went to Steve Kerr, the player development guy, or, you know, the, like the player um, ego developer kind of guy. Right. And that is what allowed them to become the best version. I have seen Michael Malone grow in the Steve Kerr aspect of coaching. Right. And I do know that Tim Connolly is 100% invested in Michael Malone. So they're not going to, they're not going to like, surprisingly fire him after one thing goes wrong. Like, it's going to have right. to be a clear issue that is not being fixed. So right. that part's interesting. And also, there's a part of being a player that you just love a gutsy, Queensbred New York point guard who doesn't matter how gray his hair is or how much is left is out there being a dog with you on defense. Like, there is a camaraderie right. there. And I feel like that's an important part of what makes Michael Malone so connecting to his players. And beyond that, I mean, he texts all the time with all the different players. Like, him right. and Jamal Murray are basically friends. Like, beyond their professional working relationship. And right. you even go back to, like, his relationship with LeBron James, his relationship with Chris Paul, who he has never coached. Like, it's just so interesting to see how he does connect with so many players and how many good things players have to say about him while still questioning if he can be the player's coach to get them there. So I'm very curious. I believe in Michael Malone. I think Michael Malone is the, is the coach to bring the Nuggets where they need to be, but there are right. still questions to be answered. Yeah, man, I hope this season does come back. I believe it will because every, every report now is we're not going to decide this month, we're going to decide next month. Now I'm still seeing he might not decide until June. So they're, they're, they're fighting for this season. <laughs> yeah, man. There's a they're lot of fighting, bro. Man. Owners are not going to let hundreds of million dollars or lock out the room for nothing. They're going to try and keep that door shut. Very true. <laughs> Wouldn't you? Very I mean, true. I want, I want yeah, a lot of money right on now. the table, I'm doing what man. I can. Yes, sir. <laughs> DJ, thank you for joining me again, man. I'll do this again sooner because it's been a while since you spoke. Yeah, man. I'm happy we got to do it. It's been way too long, and I hope that you and yours are staying safe throughout these crazy times, man, and I'm sending my best to all of them. 
Yeah, same to you. Talk to you again soon. Yeah, be safe, guys. You too. Yes, that was Mile High Sports Never Nuggets writer TJ McBride once again joining in the panel. All right, thanks for joining me. Catch you next time.